The content of this podcast, Swingin' It, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed is not intended for investment advice nor a recommendation. Investing in any stock, security, bond, ETF, option contracts, or futures has substantial risk of loss. Chris McBride and John Burrell are not certified financial or investment advisors, nor are they registered brokers. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that neither Chris McBride or John Burrell will be held responsible for any loss that you may occur from acting on the topic or discussion in this podcast. These topics are not meant for recommendation. Chris McBride and John Burrell may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. frustrating and I've been tempted a couple times this week and I've noticed that patience has been uh, very hard to come by for me this week. I got hit pretty hard on some uh, NASDAQ futures so it hasn't been a good week. Uh, I'm gonna have to bounce back from that but uh, yes it's been choppy. It's been a choppy week but uh, it's still been a good week. We've uh, been busy doing a bunch of things um trying to get ready um for uh some pretty big news here at the end but uh yeah i've been choppy week the s p dove down at the end of the day today it, it finished around one percent down nasdaq down about two and a quarter dow down about one and a quarter um, and it all took place in a few hours so risk comes on slowly and then uh and then all at once as they say yeah, um, like John said, everything nosedive there at the end. Um, I kind of checked on the futures right before we got on here. I'm pretty sure they're basically back even. So, I, I mean, you, we're down a percent, 1.2 percent or something. And now we're even or something like that. So it's kind of crazy. Again, we're recording on Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Friday, we're talking about yesterday. Um, yeah, it's just been frustrating. I, if you listen to the show, you know normally I trade a lot of at-the-money options very short-term. I almost never hold them. I had some puts last week when volatility um, dove down to the 25th, and I actually held them all the way to today, which I've never done. But I felt pretty confident about my my estimation, and then just every day it's basically been – basically even i mean it'll go up for a bit like 0.1 percent then drop down to 0.1 percent basically nothing on the helps as far as my options go so i was like i'm i gotta get out it's about to be friday they expired next friday so i didn't want to hold them until next week because as you listen to the last episode you have the theta concerns and stuff like that everything starts coming off real fast so i went ahead and trade them an hour later the market nose dives and i would uh you know made a lot of money i think 
well over a hundred dollars, probably 200, 250 note type of nose dive. So that, that was frustrating. But um, yeah, let's just go ahead and get right into the show. John got some big news and we're gonna um, move on to level two of the trading challenge towards the end. And um, but first we'll start with the educational segment, stock jargon with John and it kind of goes well with what's going on in the market right now with earnings going on and that sort of thing. We're, we will continue our option segment with our next brief, which is um, Vega. So John, first give a very short definition of Vega. Yeah, so Vega is basically an options contract sensitivity to the change in its implied volatility of the underlying. So, you know, we're talking about, what is it? Yeah, 1% change in implied volatility. Yeah, so, yeah, so the amount of, so the implied volatility is basically, it's the market's projected volatility going forward of a certain underlying, whether that be a stock, ETF, ETN, a futures contract, whatever it is that the option is based off of, um, it, the implied volatility is based off of all the option traders, everyone in the market and what they're predicting. Basically it goes through a formula and it's what they're predicting for um, a certain amount of time uh, for that specific dated option. And so every um, move in the implied volatility that the underlying goes through uh, it, the, the Vega is dependent on, like Chris said, 1%. Uh, it's it it how much it changes with a one percent move in the underlying volatility, implied volatility. And um, John mentions implied volatility there being the future, so that means it's calculated, which m means it may have nothing to do with the what most people talk about. They're talking about like volatility, which is. John. So yeah, so there's there's a few different there's implied volatility and there's realized volatility. So implied volatility is what a lot of people talk about. Like they'll say the volatility of March. Well, they were, they're talking about the realized volatility of March, which is backward looking, which is what already happened. We know it for a fact. It's true. It's what we just seen happen in the market. That's realized volatility and implied volatility is what's projected by the market that will happen in the future. It's not perfect. It, it's not saying that it will absolutely happen. It's just suggesting that this is the highest probability of, uh, of this underlying volatility in the future. And before we move back to Vega, because Vega has direct as a direct relationship basically with the implied volatility, um, let's finish talking about implied volatility a little bit, kind of, um, what kind of numbers you'd expect and that sort of thing, because it depends on, you'll hear a lot of people talk about um, how high the IB or implied volatility is or how low it is and stuff. And it, to me, it's more than that. It really depends on what's your strategy and where you're, what kind of options you're buying from. It's very different if you're trading, you buy an option three months from now than buying an option that expires next week, what number you're kind of looking at. Yes. Yeah, so, Usually in a, a regular, um, I guess, market conditions, implied volatility in the future is usually higher than what it currently is today. And the reason for that is, is we always expect 
or the unexpected, I guess. We expect the unexpected thing to happen, and that's how risk is priced. So it's just kind of like an insurance company. They want to price something happening uh, or the or the unlikely thing to happen because that's how you you know that's how you kind of price um, your max loss. You know, you, insurance companies they want to make sure that they receive enough money to cover the unexpected event happening. So if you have like a house on the beach, a hurricane comes through, you know, what is that going to cost? What's the likelihood of that happening? So when we talk about implied volatility, um, the future. Uh, is all it, well not always in normal market conditions is predicted to be higher in the future than it is right now. In March, we actually had a scenario where the future implied volatility was expected to be lower than it currently was because implied volatility was so high in March. Now and that's only because of coronavirus. I mean, people expect the coronavirus to go away, thus the businesses to come back, thus less volatile. Right. And so whenever you have uh, volatility, it's different between underlying to underlying because it's dependent on that specific underlying that you're trading. So, for example, if you're trading um, like the cruise ship stocks in March, well, their implied move became so much greater because the, the risk just exploded. So it, people weren't able to get on cruise ships. And so now you have this huge range of where the stock price could be. Um, and, and that happens, you know, all at once. So when, um, you know, Vega is is kind of important. Uh, it's not one, It's not like the main thing. I hardly ever look at it. Um, it, it's more about just understanding what Vega is and understanding that they could be a problem there. And there's actually a tweet that I want to kind of share here um, that someone made um, earlier, and they were kind of confused. If I, let's see if I can find it here. Well, while John's um, looking at that, like you said, it's probably not one of the most important ones to look at, but I would say it's more important currently than you know it normally is wouldn't you say yeah for sure and so this tweet here is really i mean it goes perfect i seen this tweet uh today i think that this person posted it yesterday but they were kind of being they were a little confused and this is a very good point that people need to understand when looking at options is uh this person bought the 2500 strike call uh, in Tesla stock or bought the call on Tesla stock for the stock to go up. And he's saying, I don't understand why I'm losing money. Don't calls make money when stock goes up. So that's what a lot of people, when they first begin in options, they think it's purely, sorry, there's a fly here. But anyways, they think it's purely based on the price of the stock. And, and the option contract is based on three things, three main things price, volatility, and time. And so the farther out in time you go, the more you're going to pay. The closer to expiration you get, the faster time decays. Um, so, and then the implied volatility, which is really what we're talking about here and with Vega, is that even though Tesla stock went up, the expected move of the market was greater than what actually happened. So even though the stock moved up, once the stock moved up, it didn't move up as high as the market thought, the implied volatility came down. And so when you've seen that the implied volatility come down, the Vega 
was heavily dependent on that number. So when the implied volatility collapsed, the vega of that option also um, lost value, even though he was directionally right. And I think um, there's another tweet. I don't know, John. I think John actually saw it, maybe. Um, but it was by Fat Baby Funds, who is coming on our show on Sunday, and he was discussing, you know, the implied don't be cautious when buying options. He said, don't do it. I would change that to be cautious when buying options during earning earnings period, because it's like when you have an earnings, whether the um, company is reporting good earnings or bad earnings, most of you as a trader, you should think there's some sort of move that's going to happen. Hardly ever. I think would there be an earnings and the stock just be like, nothing happens so there's going to be some expectation and so when earnings come there's going to be a, either an expected move up or an expected move down which automatically means it's more volatile basically than what it was thus your implied volatility is greater thus your premiums on your options are greater so you're paying more so if that volatility you know <laughs> is um i guess too high you're paying too much and then the move doesn't isn't as big as expected and then you really don't make any money even though the it went up because of the implied volatility yeah exactly and it's a very see that's that's um a very important thing is when you're jumping in options you, you really kind of have to study it a little bit um and like this person you know he he, he bought a very expensive he bought a very expensive uh, option contract before he fully understood what he was actually buying. And so just like Chris said, is the expectation of the market is higher. And, and you got to think about it this way. If, if calls were purely based on price, um, then it would make it so much easier. And then everyone would want to just buy it versus sell it. And, in options, you have to have a buyer and a seller. So you got to think, why would the seller sell that option contract to this guy if it was so clear that op that Tesla stock was going to go up? So the person, and this is um, this is also our previous guest, uh, Options Universe. What she said is she she was actually bearish on a stock um once before that she's like oh this stock you know i'm bearish on this and then she looked at the option but because she understood how options work she's like oh the premium is so high in here if i did buy that and it didn't go down a significant amount more than the uh, you know the market predicted then i wouldn't make any money and she actually sold the put instead of bought the put and and done a bullish strategy even though initially she was um bearish on the stock so you know really understanding what vega uh and implied volatility does the options is a critical piece in just understanding you don't necessarily have to look at the number but you need to understand you know where's your volatility at and if your volatility is lower than it normally is that's usually the time to buy options when when uh, the premium is super high that's usually the time to sell options and um this is a little bit outside the implied volatility and the vega comment but kind of like we were helping this guy by talking about this on the show you can learn about the implied volatility i helped somebody else off our twitter account yesterday that didn't understand options so it's very important you know you kind of learn how things work and her situation was she bought a call in SPY and um, 
SPY went up significantly like during the week. I think it was, you know, from where she bought it, it was up quite a bit. And then she, it was the day after she tweeted, um, I bought this call yesterday in SPY. Why is it not executing? And then, so I messaged her on Twitter, asked her, you know, kind of give me some more details about it. And I, I don't know what the actual price, again, she was looking at it, it's on the Twitter, but I think she, um, had put the call order in at you know like a 3.92 unit price of $392 total and I knew even from the time I was answering a day later um that the S&P 500 had went up since then there's it had never at no point went down farther than the day before even though during the day it went up and down it never went back down towards where it was before so I, I, I got on uh, my brokerage account and looked at calls in that, for the same expiration and the same strike, and they were like $504, so 5.02, so well over a dollar more than she paid. And um, so I was able to tell her the reason it didn't execute is because it jumped up so fast when you were putting it in that there was, I mean, the price you were willing to buy it at was much lower than anyone was, you know, selling it at. So it goes back to the buyer and the seller. And you're, when you put in these options, it's not just buying and it's not just, it's not just buying like you do a share of a stock. It's someone, it's a contract. Someone's on the other side of that selling. So if no one's willing to make a contract with you at that price, it won't go through. Yeah, and, and so, and most of the time, stock is the same way unless it's an IPO or someone's issuing more stock or something. But yeah, I mean, you have to have the other side. I mean, you're not just making bets with no one. Someone, you know, someone's taking the other side of your bet necessarily, not necessarily saying we're betting here, but just saying, um, you know, someone's taking the other side and you have to have a, uh, the where the markets, it's a free market you have buyers and sellers and that's how you get the pricing for these things and everything that's known is already baked in the option contract you have to really go against what the masses are are going for or you have to go you know you kind of have to be a contrarian in order to in order to be profitable because they say you know options are like a zero-sum game everything's priced perfectly that being said, you know, you have to have a strategy or some type of edge that, you know, makes you profitable. And that, that's actually, it kind of goes back to us talking about Vega. The implied volatility is a big part of the why the cost is what it is in an option contract. That and the time, like John said, and then just the price of the stock. But um, you can actually tell, I think people would consider, say, a option is called competitive normally if the isn't it like the vega is less than the um bid ask spread i think if that's how you determine if it's competitive right uh, i'm not sure on that one when i look at options look at the actual thing um you can carry on but i'm, I'm i'll make sure I, I don't want to say it because i'm pretty i'm uh, pretty sure i'm right but i don't want to say it wrong because it's a it's a good tool to use whether it's the market would say, hey, this option is overpriced or it's competitive. But, um, and the, another thing with the implied volatility and the Vega, and the reason I said this in the beginning that matters really kind of what your strategy is, is because the implied volatility is almost always higher 
if you buy at the money options. So if you're trade, like mostly I trade at the money options. So my implied volatility is always higher, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm paying too much for the price that I'm looking, you know, in such a short term and we're, we're at the money. Whereas if you're looking way, if you were looking three months ahead and the implied volatility was close to say, um, if you looked at another stock a, a week from now at the money, then that probably means the premium's too high on that, that particular one. It really yeah, matters so, what your strategy. Yeah, so anything at the money is gonna have more risk on either side. You know, you, you have a higher vague exposure, you have, um, you know, you're paying Beta. more in premium. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more risk there. But you get a higher, but you get a higher delta, which means, moves net more profit right away again also losses but profit when you're when you're doing that strategy the strategy i'm doing i'm basically looking short term and all i want to all i really care about is do i get the direction correct because i'm trying to get out you know a day or two later it's not even a, a, as much of an amount it's just, can i get the direction correct um but moving Back to Vega, John, do you have anything else? We kind of mostly talked about implied volatility, which we want. A lot of people, I think, get confused when people say Vega and they think it's the same as volatility, and it's not. It's really the sensitivity to the volatility. Yeah, I kind of think of it as like a ratio of how much an option moves versus its volatility. And, I mean, I think, I think just knowing what the implied volatility is is probably the most important. But just knowing, oh, excuse me, just knowing that you're at the money is going to be more sensitive, um, you know, to, to pretty much every factor for the most part. Um, then the out of the money, then I think that's what, I think that's what people need to focus on. But knowing the vega, you know, if you're, if you're kind of looking at your risk a little more and you're you're like, you know, what's my vega on this? You know, you can have out the money options that, you know, after earnings, they pretty much become worthless after the earnings if if they're kind of at that standard deviation and uh, it was the inside the move. And then th those options kind of become worthless because they're so far out of the money. And if implied volatility is really low, the chance of them getting there drastically decreases. So their vega might be in some cases higher than at the monies, but for uh, pretty much a, just a, a, a rule, just know that at the money is more directional and there's more risk uh, and more premium uh, in those. And just, you know, all these things are just, uh, just little nuggets to keep in mind when you're getting in the option market, but just n understanding how an option moves and knowing the three main components of uh, time, price and volatility that that's the main thing and really what we're trying to beat in everyone's head here yeah so um just as an example of going back to the earnings people expect such a you know people expect an earnings come out to move one way or another i'll bring up netflix's from last friday i think the expected move was plus or minus 12 percent which is I mean, their stock was $520, so 12% of, um, you know, $520 is quite a large 
move in right away. So I assume their option contracts, the implied volatility was very high that it would have to, which it did. I think if you had puts in Netflix, it, it moved enough for you to make plenty of money. But if it would have, if it would have moved half that, I'm not sure that it would have moved enough. But it, it moved so much that you didn't have a problem. But that, that's a big spread, 12%. I think Tesla's was like 4% or something like that from their earnings. Yeah. Yeah. Earnings is one of those binary events where everything is a little bit, you know, every the premium's more, the exposure's a little bit more. Um, in, in fact, you're going to get a bigger move. Um, you know, I, I think people just starting out, you kind of want to trade something that either doesn't have, a, uh, I mean, doesn't have earnings like an ETF, or you want to trade something that's uh, the option that doesn't um, go through in earnings when you're first starting out, especially, you know, until you get all these different components of what actually makes an option contract move and change in price, you know, really get that down before you go into to, um the earnings, but you know, there's some really great strategies that you can employ, employ during earnings season and uh, very profitable ones. And, and it brings more opportunity and uh, more time you can be, um, you know, involved in the market than, um, than when there's nothing going on. Yeah. And um, like John said, maybe, you know, if you don't understand as much, maybe trading options during earnings isn't the best idea, but if you think you have a good feeling on the earnings are going to be good or bad, I mean, you can always just buy the stocks. So like, if you think it's going to go up, you can just buy the stock and sure you make less money or have to spend more money to make the same amount of money. That's why people trade options because you spend less to make more. But um, it would be safer. If you're pretty sure it's going to go up, buying the stocks, you don't have to worry about applied volatility anymore. That's kind of out the window. Yeah, but, you just switch the price direction. Just here on um, Insta Investopedia, basically, like I said, you can tell from the bid-ask price if the Vega is less than the bid-ask separation, then people would say the option is priced competitively. Oh, well, that's, that's interesting. I might have to look into that a little more. Yeah. So um, that's pretty much Vega. I mean, there's not, not too much to it besides really the implied volatility. So even though we were talking about Vega and this is kind of a dual quarter, the implied volatility is really what we were discussing. And you, if you listen to our last episode um, when we had Dustin on from Pivotal Trading, I think every single pick he gave, he mentioned the IV. Did he not? So, and we said we would talk about that on the show. So it happened, that interview happened at the perfect time because we were right on where we needed to talk about this. So it worked out pretty well. Yeah, we kind of touched things in the interview before we, right before we get to them, just to give people like, um, you know, a taste. And then we explain it later. It's kind of, it's really cool how a couple of these episodes have went. Yeah, and um, the interview coming up Sunday with the, the Fat Baby Funds, I think we'll cover all kinds of stuff, stuff me and John don't necessarily know about because I think he's got started trading um, Bitcoin and um, he, so we don't know anything about Bitcoin, so he can enlighten us some on the Bitcoin. And then um, he trades a very, very high capital account, which is a lot more than any of us regular folks are trading, but he still seems like a regular dude. <laughs> it just happens, you know, be doing pretty well. So he'll be on Sunday. So stay tuned um, for that. But um, 
with that, I, I guess let's move into some of the co- a couple of new things from the week. I don't really have too much. Um, really, just a couple of things. Some of them not as much even relate to the stock thing. First one, we'll start out. You already heard John's feelings on Ford. You've heard my feelings on Ford. You heard my dad's feelings on Ford. Um, they came out. We we didn't really mention it last episode. They came out with the Broncos first time since the '90s. It's competitively priced the same as um, Jeeps everything else, and it was a three-car series instead of just a one vehicle. It ended up being, you know, an SUV your wife might drive, a truck you can just drive around, and then your, you know, your normal off-roading vehicle. But they're also coming out, they're, they're releasing all kinds of new stuff. It's rumored there's supposed to be a small pickup truck called the Maverick coming out, but the one I'm talking about, which, again, this – we kind of went off on the stocks a little bit, but this has really nothing to do with stocks. I just want to mention it because it was, when I saw it, it was outrageous. Their other thing they're coming out with is a Mustang Mach-E, which is an all-electric Mustang. Some people, a lot of people who like muscle cars are going to hate it because it, don't ha- it doesn't have a V8 in it. Wherever you stand on that, it doesn't ma- matter. I like the V8 too. It sounds a lot cooler. This is a full electric Mustang. They're going to have standard Mustangs, but they also are going to have SUV Mustangs, which is way different. But what I'm bringing up is they released the other day, and this is not the standard model, so don't think that if you go out and buy one of these, this is what you're getting. John, the other day they had um, their, um, what is it, prototype for the SUV. It had 1,400 horsepower. It's electric? All electric with 1,400 horsepower. Yeah, the electric vehicles, they seem like they're a lot quicker and have a lot more speed. Well, electric vehicles, you don't have the motor. You know, it's not a – I mean, it's still big, but it's not like – it's not nowhere near as heavy. But 1,400 horsepower for an SUV, I just don't know what you need that for. I wonder how long it stays charged. That's probably a trip um, to Walmart, maybe. You might have to charge up while you're there. But um, moving on from that, that wasn't even really um, news. That just, I, that just blew my mind because I think that's more than most, you know, standard Mustangs. Um, the next one, of course, would be Tesla's earnings, which came out on Tuesday. Pretty good, John. They had a profit. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of Elon Musk. I didn't think it was change, possible. It's probably not going to change John's opinion. Um all the way, but because it's definitely still overvalued. A lot of people buy it. But John, John can't say they're not moving in the right direction. So I agree with you there. If they can continue to be profitable and get their profit margins up to meet their stock price, I, I'd be I'd be fine with it. I mean, I would think this is the fourth quarter in a row that they're profitable. Now that they're profitable, I mean that's I mean they're moving in the right direction. I just think that. It's kind of like the dot-com bubble in 2000. Everyone knew the internet was going to do revolutionary things, but they just they made the price go up of every company that was involved or on the line or had a dot-com at the end. Um, they made their price go super high when they really weren't making profits yet. And then we've seen this big bust of the 2000 market. It came back down. And I kind of think that's what's going to happen to Tesla. I'm not saying that they won't get to that point and they might, their profits might rise and their stock kind of stay the same. But I think either two things are going to happen with Tesla. Either Tesla's price is going to crash down and it's going to meet a, a more realistic valuation with its earnings, or its earnings is just going to explode and get to um, where the current stock price is. Either one of those two things are going to happen, and most likely the price will come down first. 
Well, it's probably going to come down some. I, I don't think even people who are trading, I don't think they think just it's just going to continue going up. I can see it going down. Uh, let me ask you one thing. Say it's at 750. Are, are you you feel better about them then? If the stock was at that's half of where they're currently at. Um, it kind of goes back to February before 750. Um, no, I think I think probably I don't see them going much lower than that. I think they'll go. I think they'll bust to like four hundred, and then they'll bounce back up. And I think somewhere around five hundred. Well, you heard John's prediction. I, I I think if they go down seven seven fifties, about the lowest. That's kind of what they were at prior to. I say all of this I say for sure they'll go below that, but I think you know it seems like everything busts farther than it should, and then it comes back just how it, like it goes up farther than it should. But I, I think I think you're looking at you know it could drop more than that, but. But the problem with it is, is even though if I could be right, you could be right, whoever could be right, problem is getting the timing right. Yeah, so timing's going to be hard. Um, I will say I don't expect the bus to occur very soon because the, this being the fourth quarter in a row, they've earned profits. They're probably about to be the S &P, an S&P 500 company. That was the requirement. They had to have, I think, a full year of profit, and they hit it. So. I, I would I would be oh, very, I didn't realize that was a requirement. I would be very surprised if um say I didn't look up in the S and P five when I say that I didn't look up the S and P five hundred requirements. I do know that in order that they were talking about Tesla becoming an S and P five hundred company, and in order for them to do so, they had to post a profit this quarter, which happened to be their fourth quarter. So I'm using kind of. Educated guess four quarters is a year, so that's a whole year of the profit. Yeah, I, th I, th I bet I bet that's right. We'll have to look into that. But that's really interesting. You know that that makes sense that they would have it. I knew it's pretty hard to get an S P five hundred. If you get the S P five hundred though, you get all that fun. You get all the incoming flows from um, from you know people's paychecks going into uh, ETFs. You get all those flows. So if they get the S and P five hundred before the market goes down again, they could go to ten grand. Yeah, that's what I was telling you, John. That in, in the next month or so, or whenever the next scramble is, I expect Tesla to be an S and P five hundred company. I mean, it'd be very. It'd be I, mean, I don't doubt it. I, I think yeah. I, I mean, I'm on you with that one. I mean, I think I think it'll happen. I mean, I think they'll be in there. It I just really you know. change how um some of these ETFs are traded because a lot of times, you know, if Apple has a really bad day, which is actually why it crashed today, Apple and um, the Dow Incorporation or whatever dropped considerably, considerably, which basically tanked the S and P 500. So Tesla's almost as price is almost as expensive to Apple. If they move 500 in a day, that's going to be detrimental to some of the ETFs. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna have to trade the futures a little different if Tesla gets in there. <laughs> but um, yep. So to bring up some more from their earnings, they posted a hundred and four million dollar profit for their fourth straight profitable quarter. They um, sold ninety thousand six hundred and fifty cars, which we talked about how many cars they sold in the first quarter, which was eighty eight thousand, which was already higher than they expected. They sold more than that this quarter, and um, they added six billion dollars of revenue. 
Um, the goal, so Elon Musk said it a long time ago, and he didn't back down in his meeting. He said it's still going to happen. He said they'll sell 500,000 cars by the end of 2020. So if you're doing the math, they're about 30,000 um, behind schedule, but also the two quarters thus far was during Corona. So it's not out of the picture. And then obviously the, ten, um, the Texas Gigafactory in, in Austin, apparently they qualify for some really, really huge tax incentives. So that's going to help them out. And then it makes them where they can produce their best-selling vehicle, which is the, um, the Y, the Tesla SUV Y. A vehicle there I think they normally put up 400,000 of them a year they're increasing that to 500,000 units so that that should help them out but yeah Tesla's earnings were were pretty good to say the least um moving on the next the next really the last one I'm going to talk about is um Snapchat's earnings on I think yesterday actually if you listen to our show again um from Monday's episode, Dustin's um, sale pick of the week was um, Snapchat because he mentioned the IV being very high. And I think I said during it that I thought that was a pretty good um, a prediction. It did happen. Tesla's earnings came out and immediately the stock dropped 7%. So if I had to guess, unless something changes, um, Dustin might beat us on the sell stock this week because it immediately dropped 7%. Um, but why I bring this up is he also mentioned he didn't really, he was a little worried on saying it. Um, and that, that's because the competition's for a week. I like Snapchat going forward. Actually, I looked more into it once the earnings came out. I might make a play on Snapchat for more going down the road, not a week from now, but you know, a few months from now. Um, so here's some of Snapchat's earnings and what people were saying afterwards. It posted negative nonsense per share, which I mean, is barely in the in the red, basically. Um, but their revenue increase, they had a four hundred fifty-four million um, dollars in revenue. Four hundred thirty-nine million was the expected, and their users increased four percent, which is a pretty big um, thing. But the the one thing that I liked from their earnings call was the amount of ad sales they increased. So I think. I think Snapchat's always had ads, but really the last year, I think, is when businesses have actually been jumping onto Snapchat and using them. And um, they're really, the ad sales are really increasing. And now if you compare that with all the drama with Facebook and Twitter, you see companies going to Snapchat for the ads and rather than the Facebook and Twitter, which bodes well for, you know, their profitability, revenue, all of that. So ads are a big deal for Snapchat and with them increasing so much this quarter and going forward and with the woes all the other social media companies are having, that could be um, very beneficial. But um, even though their stocks went down, a lot of analysts have them as a buy rating and they're telling people to buy the dip. So here's just a couple, I'll, I'll read through a couple of them, a couple and normally when you see them, I don't, I don't a lot of times, John, see a consensus on stuff. You see one company loves it, one company hates it. This one seems to be a pretty solid consensus. Credit, uh, Credit Susie's evaluation, they expect Snapchat to outperform. Their target rating is 30. I think Snapchat's at like $21.50 or $22 a share right now. Third, outperform target rating is 30. Raymond James. 
to perform at their market rating. Rosenblatt Securities, they have a buy rating, target price 30. Um, Barclays buy rating, target price 29. Um, Bank of America buy rating, target price 28.5, and UBS buy rating price 25. So, I mean, they all, every company has a buy rating going forward on Snapchat. So, I just wanted to bring that because Dustin picked that as his, um, his sell pick and the fact that their earnings were negative. It's, it's one of the companies where their earnings ended up being a negative profit, but what they said in their earnings was actually pretty solid. But um, just moving on from um, th that, that's all I, the news I have today. Um, let's move on right into, um, we won't do predictive picks for today. Um, I think John's got to go here shortly. We're on a time crunch. So let's move straight into our trading challenge. We're, um, John's going to release um, level two, which if you've been playing along with the swinging upwards trading challenge, level one was to make $150 profit on a derivative of the S&P 500 or a volatility product that can be SPY, SPX, SPXS, UPRO, UBXY, SVXY, you name it, it's in there. It's in there and you can trade options. Um, I'll let John update you on his status. I hit mine last week, um, you know, on a couple of UPRO buy, alternating buys and puts and um, some UBXY um, actual security I own and sold. So I actually hit my 150. I think I actually made like 162 or something. So I'm ready for level two. John, um, what, before we do that, what's your status on level one? So I am, let's see, I'm not too far behind. Um, I have to look and see the exact number, but I'm not too far behind. I've been scalping uh, the e min, uh, the micro e-minis um, over the night hours, which you know, I try to do it during the day, but I haven't really found anything that I like. Uh, and I'm not able to follow it during the day right now because of work has picked up. So I've just been doing the night hours and they're not, it doesn't move as much, but I'm not too far behind, but hopefully I'll get a, um, a, a open day at work where I can mess with it a little bit more. But the second part to this challenge. So just to give a little bit of information, the first part of the challenge, you know, it wasn't based on, you could use any amount of money. It wasn't based on a um, specific percent return. It was, you could use, you know, we opened it up so you could use a lot more um, different products. And I thought about doing a subset uh, challenge, but I'm actually scrapping that. We're going straight to the, to the big one. And this is gonna be, it's gonna be interesting, but the reason that let's I not, wanted let's not get too hard right away though, John. I mean, we're on level two. Okay. So, so if hard, we won't have levels to move up, and we're looking at people who may have never traded anything before, who may have just jumped in to do the challenge. And like John said, the reason we picked no capital limits on this one is because level two, I think, is supposed to you're supposed to use the one hundred and fifty that you made. Okay. Yeah, so the next level is going to be more defined in what you can do. Um, so let's see here. 
Okay, so our trading challenge for level two is going to be taking the $150, and you can only use the $150, and you have to get an 8% return on the $150. You can use um, SPXS, UPRO, and you can use UVXY and SVXY. Yeah, and the reason, John, it may seem kind of limited besides the, from the original derivatives is, is because we're limiting you to the $150 um, profit you made, which basically takes you out of buying SPY because it's $300. So you can't buy the SPY with the 150. And the reason we're doing this, so if anyone's ever played like a video game or some kind of game like that, normally when you start out, you got to work up slow. You you know, you can say you're playing Need for Speed or some car game, you have a little amount of money. You start out with kind of a slow, shitty car and you got to win some races, build it up. This is the same type of deal. We um, opened up a little bit on level one because we wanted people to make the 150 however they could. But then from here on out, you should be using what you um, what you made basically. It's not a free for all. And John, tell me how you feel about this. Maybe we make it how much you earned. So instead of making it an exact number, maybe we can make it. You know, like I made I think one hundred and sixty-two dollars. So if I wanted to use one hundred and sixty-two dollars, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. If you make more, uh, you know, than the first challenge, and that's fine. You can use um, use that amount. Only um, use your profit from the first challenge is what we're Right, but you can only use the profit from your first challenge. So you only have to get to the 150 to go on to the next uh, challenge. So once you get there or you make a little bit more from the trade or, you know, however you get to that point, you can just take that and move over to level two. And we have some really good stuff for you down the line. And do we want to mention it just because they have the discount today? Um, we can mention that in a second. Again, I, we're, that's different from the training challenge. That's a separate thing if people want to be involved in this from this training challenge. This is more of an educational practice. But um, as we go up in levels, so if you make 8% on your 150, which isn't a lot, I mean, that's only going to be 11 or $12, basically. Um, the next challenge, you can you have more capital to use. So each level, you should have a little bit more capital, a little bit more capital to use. So only use your capital that you have built. So like when we get to level five, you can use whatever capital you've built from level one to level five. And we'll keep going like that. So it'll be a little slow, I think, the level-wise at the beginning because, again, 8% is a really good is a pretty good return on profit, but when we're talking about $150, it's not that much money. So it's gonna take a few levels to, you know, build up some profit for us to, you know, really break out the levels. Now what John has mentioned that is um, if you think that you're good at this trading thing, if you've been listening to the Just Swing It podcast or the Pivotal Trading Podcast or follow Options Universe and you've been doing it yourself and you think you're you're really good at this, um, there's a website for you. And this is where you can basically, it's kind of similar as some of these other sites like Pivotal Trading, like a subscription site. You pay a certain amount per month, but you can enter a trading challenge. And this trading challenge is virtual money. So the money's fake money. It's just like they're giving you the money, you trade it. But the thing is, and it's 25,000, 50,000, 100,000, how, however much you want to 
get into, but that means you're the higher you go, the higher your monthly subscription. So a twenty-five thousand dollar account is lower than the fifty thousand dollar account as far as the price you pay up front. But the thing is, if you it's kind of like our trade challenge, you trade that amount of money, you get a certain um, you get a limited number of trades for each one, and you have to make a certain amount of profit in a month. Or what it's a month, right? Well, I guess it could be longer than a month. You would just pay more subscriptions. If you do it in a month, you can only have to pay the one subscription. Um, it's You have to trade at least 15 days. So you can't just make it in one day and then not trade anymore because then you kind of probably just got lucky, honestly. So they want you to trade um, the 15 days. You got to make a certain amount of money and you can, you're limited on the amount you can lose at one time. Again, it's fake money. But if you hit that amount, they give you a funded account. So if you beat their trading challenge, whatever account size you hit, so if you bought the $50,000 account size, um, which normally I think is like $150 a month, but the reason we're saying this now is they have a discount currently. So right now you can pay $85 to enter this trading challenge, which is really $85 to use their subscription so they may have some other tools and stuff you look at but when i'm looking at this i'm looking at it's 85 dollars to enter this training challenge not really to use their subscription stuff but if you pass their challenge they give you a fifty thousand dollars funded account so no longer fake money we're talking real money now and you get to keep 80 percent of your profits that you make from that which again if you're trading fifty thousand eighty percent I mean, you can quite a bit of profit. So for that that challenge, you have your profit goal is three thousand dollars. So if you pass that challenge and you get funded, if you made three thousand dollars, I mean, you know, you're putting putting quite a bit of money in your pocket right there that you get the yeah, twenty four hundred bucks. Yeah, twenty four hundred, which means you would be giving them a six hundred dollar premium on. Basically, you would kind of be working for them as an independent trader basically and paying them a commission it's kind of like if you're a barber shop or a beauty person but not work for like a corporate thing but you pay a rent to use their charity you're paying 20 percent of your profit to use their money basically yeah and and that's called being a a proprietary trader or a prop trader yep so if you think you're good at this this is your chance to um kind of not really become a professional trader but to become a you know make some money with make some money using somebody else's money basically but um check it out i'll it's on a website called earntotrade.com um i'll include that in our podcast subscription so look at that check it out it may not be for everyone because again you're paying you know 75 85 dollars to enter the challenge but if you feel good about where you're at right now, if you like the, where the market's at, right now, it could either be a really good time to do it or a really bad time because of the way the market's moving and not really knowing. The market's moving a lot, so you can probably make your profit goal in um, the small amount of time. Whereas, but again, you're limited on how much you can lose, and so you could also lose too much. And if you lose too much, I think you got to pay another you know, another subscription or whatever to reset your account, basically. Yeah, and uh, you know, the 50, the 100, and 150, it's a, it's a, you basically have to get a 6% return on the play account or the virtual account. 
Um, the 25,000, it's a little higher than that as far as percent gains go. But I would, um, you know, I think the one that I might do is the 50K just because it's $85. But it's not limited in time. You can actually take as long as you need to get to that point, get the funded account. But once again, you'll be paying $85 a month until you get there. After you get to that 3,000, if you do it in one month, you no longer have to pay for the subscription. So that's something I was interested in. So once you hit the challenge and they're paying you the funded account, you don't owe them the subscription money anymore. Right. So you basically work for them kind of. Um, again, you're limited. So like the $50,000 account, the max position size you ha can have is six contracts. So you can buy six of the same, you know, option contracts or whatever. Well, this is based on, so it's a futures trading. Oh, so it's all futures. That's something we didn't mention. Um, so it's again, I guess, trading futures. Now, does that mean you have to trade futures once they fund your account? Yeah, so um, there's a bunch of different, um, so it's basically this one page here. They have a ton of information and like how it works and and uh, the, the nitty gritty of how the challenge works and how the funding. But if you pass this, you're guaranteed a funded account uh, offer if you pass this, uh, if you pass this challenge and there's tons of uh you know uh, information here the profit split on any profit you makes 80 20 um they tell you about your max drawdown and and it, you know about your funds that you get go back up to the um go back to the profit split you had it up so let's see what it says profits can be withdrawn and are subject to an 80 to 20 percent profit split in the trader's favor so that to me would mean you get 80 percent um they get 20 but i would want to look a little more in that to make sure they're not saying they're the trader because they give you the money no no it, it's a 80 20 and our guest that's coming on thursday he got funded with them so we'll be able to ask him some questions too yeah, so that's uh, our secret guest. Is, um, we got another guest coming on next Thursday, and it's a guy who actually got funded by completing this challenge. So um, it's called the Gauntlet Mini. Do I know the guy that's coming on, John, or no? Uh, probably not. I found him on YouTube looking this stuff up. Oh, okay, so he's going to work out perfectly fine. But um, he'll be able to give everyone a lot more information on the Gauntlet Mini and how you can – basically become funded from trading futures. And again, the one thing that sometimes I get frustrated in is because I don't have an account worth 25K, I can't do the day trades. And some people are really bad at day trades, some people are really good. I'm normally pretty good at guessing the direction. That's why I do the short-term options. I feel like I would do a lot better if I could day trade. So sometimes I get stuck into something that hits the wrong way and I have to wait till the next day and I ended up not not doing as well or even even the opposite it goes up and i can't get out and then overnight the futures change and then i'm back to even again because i can't yeah, see with this account too is you could also trade futures overnight yeah yeah so you can day trade you can trade futures overnight so it could be a fun time so definitely look into that our guest thursday will tell you more about it and our the link will be in the show description it's at earnatrade.com but with that that's all we have for you today come back on monday's episode as we um discuss everything from bitcoin to cruise ship trading to 
dividend investing and who knows what else um, with fat baby funds, he should have buy, sell and watch stocks as well. So that's something we're going to keep moving forward with, with our guests, having them actually join in on our buy, sell and watch segment. So fat baby funds should have his picks. Um, you heard Dustin's picks. So that should be a good time. And um, yeah, so definitely don't get too frustrated at the market. Um, and if you haven't followed us yet on Twitter, we can still be found at Swingin' It, no just, but on Twitter at Swingin' It. I'm at Chris McGrider's for 12 on all platforms. John is at Burrell Invest, or his website is at BurrellInvestments.com. You can look and see what kind of um, learning materials and that sort of thing he has on there. So be sure to follow us if you're not already and share the show with um, your friends. Continue doing your homework and um, just keep swinging it. We'll see you on Monday. We out. John, play the music.